0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. There is a Jesus is the truth sign across the road from our driveway, and I'm sure you've seen these signs. I have to say I'm not a big fan of signs in general, and particularly that one, because presumably it's meant to be apologetic in nature, evangelical in nature. Uh, But when you think about it, what are the chances that an unbeliever driving by will read that sign and cry out, oh, now I get it, Jesus is the truth. It's like the church sign I passed last week that said in big, bold letters, Obey God, and it even had an exclamation point, Obey God, right on the sign. And again, I could be wrong, but the likelihood of someone deciding to obey God because they've been yelled at by a church sign is slim to none. Sort of like French people, uh, it's sort of like English people speaking uh, English in Paris to French people. Uh, as if they would be able to understand them if they spoke English more loudly and slowly. Same thing's happening there. Here's the thing, though. Jesus is the truth. I'm a believer, and I believe that Jesus is the truth. He says so himself. I am the way and the truth and the life. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in today's gospel reading, Jesus says, for this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Now, um, what does it mean? to belong to the truth and to listen to Christ's voice. Well, I'd like to get at this um, in the via negativa fashion, in the opposite fashion. Uh, Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world, right before that. Now, what does the world pedal as truth, although pedal is probably the wrong word because that word's too weak, the lies of the world, are aggressive, and they are deadly. In Homer's uh, Odyssey, Ulysses orders his men to strap him to the mast when they sail past the sirens. Remember that scene. The siren song, the song that the sirens sing is so bewitching that it renders a person incapable of rational thought. Ulysses put wax in his men's ears so they would not hear the song. Uh, And it's because if they did, they would hear the song and they would jump into the sea and swim toward the sirens. Under no circumstances, Ulysses says, were they to release him from the mast, strapped and lashed around it, no matter what he said or did. In uh, the Englishman William Etty's painting, called The Sirens and the Ulysses in the 19th century, sorry, sorry, The Sirens and Ulysses. Uh, The artist portrays three sirens. They're alluring and they're naked women on a beach. Ulysses' sailboat is sailing past and he's strapped to the mast, sort of larger than life, larger than his crew members. His muscles are bulging and he's fighting with all of his might to get free and to swim toward the temptresses. Now, on the beach next to the sirens are corpses of men in various stages of decay. Looks like the wreckage you might see in a Godzilla movie. But back to the Odyssey. When Ulysses passed the sirens, sails past the sirens, and the sirens are singing their enchanting song. He was driven insane temporarily, and he struggled with all his might to break free, as I said. His men, however, kept their promise, and they refused to release him. And so in the end, Ulysses and his crew sailed safely past the siren's song. Now, it's such a famous and powerful illustration because of its truth. What does it say to us? It says that we are utterly vulnerable to the lies of this world. In fact, the Bible calls the devil the father of lies. And like Ulysses and his men, we cannot resist those lies. They're so captivating on our own. And the consequences of those lies, like the corpses strewn on the beach, are often dire. Now, the lies of the devil slash the world, they're legion. There's so many of them, but I want to give you three that seem to be embedded in our culture. And to make them easy for you to remember, uh, they will all begin with the letter P. The first lie is perfectionism. Perfectionism. Perfectionism is the feeling, the demand, the pressure to do everything well. Perfectionism is being so hard, darn hard on yourself when you don't live up to the standards you set for yourself. Perfectionism is not allowing yourself to make mistakes and being mortified and ashamed when you do. In an excellent This American Life podcast called My Bad, listeners were asked to send in their most embarrassing moments. And of course, the episode was hilarious with these moments coming in, but the hosts of the show's summary of the podcast was poignant. She noticed that a large majority of the people who sent things in were still so deeply ashamed of their embarrassing moment, some nearly crippled by it. And her conclusion was this. We think that we are not supposed to or allowed to make mistakes in this life and we are expected and expect ourselves to skate through life for the perfect record. Ultimately, perfectionism, the first P of the devil's lies, is not really believing that the gospel of grace can really apply to you, and that is a terrible lie. The second lie is progressivism. And then, of course, I don't mean political progressivism, but I mean by that the lie that you should always be improving. You should always be getting better and better and better. You should always be cleaning up your act, always be um, making sure that you're better tomorrow than you were yesterday. Some versions of Christianity mistakenly call this sanctification. Um, In contrast to that lie, here's some real truth from the director, Kenneth Branagh, who, if you remember, if you're of a certain age, he burst on the scene when he was 28 years old with uh, Henry V, the Shakespeare adaptation with Emma Thompson. And Branagh is 60 now. He's been to the school of hard knocks. In a New York Times interview, the reporter asked, have you solved anything yet? Have you solved anything now? Branagh answered, no. But I may have discovered, for me at least, that there's nothing to solve. That Samuel Beckett phrase "A fail, fail again, fail better, is maybe one to bear in mind. But who pretends that life is one slowly ascending curve of human development? most of the time you have to smash into something death the broken relationship the horrible career moment then you think well what matters to me what do i enjoy or even just i'm still here perfectionism progressivism and ultimately progressivism is this not really believing that the gospel of grace can really apply to you. And that is a terrible lie. And then our third and final lie is Pelagianism. Pelagian is a late 14, uh, late fourth century um, heresy named after a monk named Pelagius. And Pelagius believed that we just have to apply more willpower in order to get better, that we're just free to choose the good whenever we want to. And if we apply a little willpower, then you put those things together, you get some discipline involved, and you will progressively get better, even to perfection. Now, although his beliefs were deemed heretical in 420 AD, his teachings are alive and well, aren't they? Especially in the two Ps that I just mentioned. I mean, he believed also that we need to step up and do our part in order for God to respond to do his part. That is the ace hidden in the lying devil's sleeve, causing us beloved humans all kinds of misery when we believe it. For ultimately, Pelagianism is not really believing that the gospel of grace can really apply to you. Jesus says, everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. I sometimes wish that I had a mast to strap myself to and a crew to help me as we sail on this ship of fools in this world. Well, in fact, this church is built to be an upside-down ship. And in here, in our liturgy, In our music, in our prayers, in our scripture, and in our preached word, we hear what is true. And what we hear leads to life and not to death. Though we don't have a mass to be strapped to, we do have something better. And that is this Jesus himself was strapped to a mast in the shape of a cross in our place. And nothing could tempt him to come down or break through or break out until he had achieved and accomplished everything on our behalf. There is nothing left to do, there's no perfection left to achieve. There's no treadmill of progressivism to get on. There's no power of will to produce. For Jesus has done it all, every bit of it, and it's all true. And what that truth means is this, that the gospel of grace really, truly applies to you. Amen.